0: Welcome to Inspire Churches Podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at InspireChurches.com. Thank you so much, friends and family, for joining us. If you're tuning in for the very first time, my name is Philip, one of the pastors here at Inspire Church, and I gotta say, we are in a unique time Uh, And so, wherever you're at this morning, you might be in your front room, you might be in your couch, your living room, your bedroom, you might even be outside on your patio looking on your phone. Um, This is new for me. I am here in my front room. We have turned my house into a pulpit. And I was actually thinking about this this week. The last time that I spoke, um, that I preached at Inspired Church, we were live, physically meeting together at the crown. It feels like it was. Ages ago, and so this is new for me and a little bit different, so I thought i 'm um, used to preaching to a live studio audience, so I thought i 'd bring some of my friends along with me and so uh, mama patty you 're one of my greatest supporters you 're my amener um, so I got mama Patty here with me today no offense i 'm just going to put you right there um, and of course, I got some of my some of my son 's friends with me today um, to be a part of this live studio audience but um, I just want to say this: I am so proud of our church. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, we are facing something unprecedented as a nation, as a globe. And I'm so proud of Inspired Church. I'm not just proud of you, but I'm so proud of our leadership. Our leadership team has been mobilizing. We've been communicating. We've been moving to making sure that you are getting gospel content. And we are praying and fasting for you by name. Again, um, I just want to honor Pastor Roger. I want to honor Catherine. And I want to thank the entire family of leadership at Inspired Church who's been praying, fasting, and mobilizing, ensuring that our mission of making disciples is still moving forward during this time. And I just want to say this to everybody that's watching. um, We're in for some challenging times ahead. Um, And I actually just want to give a a, a couple of words of encouragement, uh, um, a couple of words of wisdom Number one, stay inside. Um, During this time, let's continue to listen uh, to um, our leadership. Let's continue to listen to our local leaders, our state leaders, our national leaders. Let's continue to pray for them. Number two, stay connected. Look, just because we're socially isolating doesn't mean that we have to be spiritually isolated. And so I really want you to stay connected with the body of Christ during this time. Will you do me a favor? Will you text somebody this week? you, love them, encourage them, pray for them. You know, uh, the leadership of the church is not the only ones that do ministry. Uh, we are called to equip the members of the church to do the work of the ministry. And so I just really want to inspire you guys to minister to one another during this time. Uh, number three, stay tuned. Um, more opportunities to connect are coming at Inspire. As the next couple of weeks unfold, we'll be making more announcements. We'll be rolling out new things for your kids, parents. Parents, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be rolling out more opportunities to pray and fast together as a church. And um, and really, uh, we will just keep on moving forward, making sure that even though we may be uh, socially isolated this time, that the mission continues to move forward. And finally, keep growing. Keep growing. Um, I want to challenge you during this time. Wherever your devotion was prior to this pandemic, I'm going to challenge you, take The next step, if you prayed once a week before, why not make it twice a week? If you've never read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why don't you make it a priority to read through them during this time? If you've never fasted before, if you're not used to fasting, taking a time to abstain from food, to get closer to God, I'm going to challenge you this week. Why don't you put your heart and your stomach on the Lord, wherever you were before before I just want to encourage you, take your next step during this time. Well, last week, Pastor Roger kicked off our Easter series that uh, we're calling Behold the Lamb. Now, this series has been designed to follow um, the, scarlet le- le- um, the scarlet thread of Scripture And this scarlet thread in scripture is really just this overarching theme of the necessity of bloodshed for the remissions of sin, and is communicated to us from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I love that Pastor Roger uh, began last week's sermon with this quote from theologian Gordon Fee. He says this The Bible is not. A disconnected set of stories, each of which has a little moral principle about how to live life. Primarily, the Bible is a single story telling us what is wrong with the human race and what God is doing about it. And again, I can't say enough For how incredible um, Pastor Roger's message was last week. He kicked off our journey by showing us the bloody beginning in Genesis. And he revealed to us in Genesis this reoccurring overarching theme that will manifest itself throughout the entire scripture. That where human patterns of sin exist, divine pattern of sacrifices are needed. So today, we're going to move on. In fact, we're going to move on over a thousand years later from Genesis to Exodus, still following that scarlet thread so that we can behold that beautiful lamb. Before we do that, I'd like to just say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We recognize our current situation, the crisis that we're in, this global pandemic pandemic. God, you are sovereign. You're in control. You know exactly what you're doing. So we align our hearts with that. As for this morning's message, I pray that you would open up hearts and minds to hear and see what your word is saying. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As of today, the Jewish people are less than a week away from celebrating one of the most Significant events in their history And that's called the Passover In fact, the Passover will start on April 8th And it will continue all the way to April 16th Likewise, Christians everywhere are getting ready to celebrate The most significant event in their history in just two weeks And that's Easter Sunday on April 12th And I want to show you something the events of the death and resurrection of Christ historically occurred during the Passover. Now, this was no coincidence. God was setting it all up. He was divinely orchestrating everything together. Why? Because the events of the Passover were intended to foreshadow and bring greater clarity to the events of Easter. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, and we'll have it for you up on the screen, I'd like to get into the book of Exodus, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. Then we're going to get into Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And so this is the story of the Passover. Exodus chapter 11, verse 4 reads like this. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know, know that the Lord makes, and this is a key word, a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now let's continue to chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Scripture says this, The Lord says to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without spot or blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or broiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The Lord shall be a sign. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Really incredible. This Passover meal is the single oldest living religious meal in human history. This Passover meal has been passed down and practiced for generations and generations of Jews for over 3,500 years. Now, for the rest of our time together, I want to look at three characteristics from the Passover that I believe will better position us at the conclusion of this message to behold the Lamb. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you the three up front. Number one, the judgment of God. Number two, the distinction of Israel. Number three, the blood of the lamb. Let's start with the judgment of God. Now, I have realized that most people take no issue with the idea of a God of love. In fact, we all willingly embrace a God of mercy. We embrace a God of grace, but we often have a problem with or even deny the reality altogether of a God of wrath and judgment. In 2017, a former worship leader, in fact, a lot of our churches sang his worship songs. Michael Gunger he took to good old Twitter and Listen to what he tweeted. He said this, I would love to hear more artists who sing to God and fewer who include a father murdering a son in that endeavor. He went on to tweet, If you can't think of anything to sing to God other than gratitude for taking your shame away through bloodshed, stop singing and look around. Author William Paul Young who authored the book The Shack which actually I read many of you might have read the book The Shack*. it sold 20 million copies listen to what he said he said this who originated the cross? if God did then we worship a cosmic abuser he continues it is often this very cruel and monstrous God that the atheist refuses to acknowledge or grant credibility in any sense and rightly so better know God at all than this one. Is this really true? Is God really a cosmic abuser? Is the idea of a God of judgment really repulsive? Listen, before you answer, can you just consider this? A God that doesn't judge sin is a God who is unjust. And a God that is unjust is unloving. Therefore, the only appropriate response a loving God can take toward evil and injustice is in fact wrath. Let's look back at the story in Exodus chapter twelve, and at the final words in verse 12, look at what God says. He says this I will execute judgments. You see, every plague in the book of Exodus sent against Pharaoh and the Egyptians was an expression of God's judgment. They were, those plagues, listen, were love's response to evil and injustice. So so what can the Passover reveal to you and I about God's judgment? Well, three things. Number one, God's judgment is patient. What do I mean by that? You see, for 400 years, the Israelites had been brutally enslaved. To the Egyptians with no sign of God's intervention. And finally, when God did intervene, God gave Pharaoh nine opportunities to repent and let his people go. But every time, here it is, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not heed the voice of the Lord. And I think I was thinking about this, and this is so ironic to me. We hear the cries of God's people for 400 years, and we blame God for taking too long. Then we see God execute his judgment against Egypt, and we blame God for being too harsh. All along, every step of the way, we will always see a God who is patient, but his patience does Have his limits. God's judgment is patient. Number two, God's judgment, are you ready? Is terrible. I said that correctly. God's judgment is terrible. I get why people fear it. I get why people avoid it. In fact, I even get why people are tempted to deny the judgment of God altogether. Now, if you look at the Greek New Testament word for judgment, it's actually the word krisis. Does that sound familiar? The Greek New Testament word for judgment is krisis. It's the same word where in English we get crisis. And I think that's so fitting to where we're at right now because we're in the middle of a global crisis. But listen, what we're experiencing right now is nothing in comparison to the greater crisis that all of humanity will be facing one day in God's final judgment. Now let's go back to that final plague. Can you imagine how terrifying it was? Firstborn sons all across the country suddenly and unexpectedly dropping dead. Not a single neighborhood was quiet. The streets erupted with Tears and wailing and agony. In fact, scripture tells us a cry in Egypt was lifted up so loud and so deep that a cry had never been lifted up like that before and will never be lifted up like that again. And guess what? There was no quarantining from this plague. There was no hand sanitizer that can escape this plague. There was no hope of an eventual vaccine that would stop the death that was coming to every firstborn child. In fact, some households probably lost both fathers and sons. I want you to know that God's judgment is patient, but God's judgment is terrible. And finally, number three, God's judgment is just. Let's go back to the beginning of Exodus. If you know the story, in chapter 1, verse 22, listen to what the scripture says. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Do you see what is happening here? God's final judgment was fitting. It actually corresponded with what was done to the Hebrews. God's just retribution was to take Pharaoh's sons because Pharaoh had taken his sons. You see, all the plagues fell down upon all the Egyptians. But something else, something telling takes place in the story. Under God's control, the plagues were only allowed to go so far. So while Egypt suffered, Israel sheltered. God made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites the distinction of Israel. I want you to see this for yourself. Look for yourself just for a moment. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 21 through 22, scripture reads like this. And the house of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Skip to chapter 9, verse 6. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Later on in chapter 9, verse 25 through 26, the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Finally, chapter 10, verse 23, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Do you see the distinction that God made between his people and the Egyptians? Now, here's the question. What were the qualifications for this distinction? Was Israel better than Egypt? Was Israel good and Egypt bad? No, Israel was just as wicked and just as rebellious to God as Egypt was. Now, this is so key. The distinction God made over Israel was not because of Israel, but because of God. You see, God loved Israel for His name's sake. He loved them because He had chosen them to demonstrate His grace and mercy to the world. They were His chosen people. They did nothing to earn this distinction. God gave it to them freely for His glory. And it's here in the final play where the scarlet thread. Emerges. You remember that? We're looking for the scarlet thread. It's here in the final plague where this scarlet thread emerges, and the wisdom of God is made known. What will protect Israel from this coming death and judgment? Only the blood of a lamb. I want you to listen to this. God didn't need the blood of an animal to tell the difference between an Egyptian and a Hebrew. Right? He knew who was who. It's not like God was like, man, I don't know who's who, so let's get blood and let's paint it on them so that when I come down, I'll know the difference. God already knew who was who. So, so why the blood of the lamb? Listen, God required blood. Here it is. Because in the death of a lamb, an acceptable substitute was provided in place of his sons. Do you see it now? In that final plague, all were sentenced to death. The Egyptians, the Israelites, the cats, the dogs, the cattle, everyone was sentenced. Every firstborn son was sentenced to death. You see, this is so huge. We think that the greatest threat to Israel's survival was Pharaoh. No! Their biggest concern was not safety from Pharaoh, but safety from the coming wrath. Of God. This is such a profound statement. I really want you to listen to this. There was not a single household that night. Egyptian or Israelite. That did not experience a death. For the Egyptians. It was the death of their firstborn sons. But for the Israelites. It was the death of a substitute lamb. Now. Step out of Exodus. Fast forward with me 2,000 years to the night before Jesus was to be executed on the cross. I want you to listen to these words Jesus spoke to his disciples the night before he was crucified in Luke twenty two fifteen. 15. Jesus said this to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus gathered them together and they reclined at the table to celebrate and partake of the Passover meal. This was a rich tradition filled with with ritual language and symbolic meaning that had been passed down for 2,000 years. But in the midst of this night, this celebration, Jesus did something different. He transformed the language and transformed the formula of Passover forever. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. You see, the bread was there. The wine was there. All the elements needed to celebrate the proper Passover was there except for one crucial thing. There was no lamb. That night, Jesus didn't write a book he simply gave his disciples a mill, as the primary way by which he would explain to them and to us why he came to die. I want to conclude today's message by beholding the lamb together. And we're going to behold the lamb in three simple ways. One, It was a male lamb, one year old. Now, we have a tendency to think of a cute, cuddly, baby lamb. But what you have to realize is that a one-year-old male lamb was actually a lamb with horns in his prime. He was at the peak of his strength, too. It was a lamb without spot or blemish. In other words, a perfect lamb with no physical defects. The absolute choicest lamb of the flock in three This lamb's blood had to be applied to the doorstep of their homes. It was not good enough that the lamb just died, but then his blood had to be applied. Let me say that again. It wasn't good enough that the lamb died, but the blood of the lamb had to be applied. Where God sees the blood applied, then he says, I can pass over that house with my judgment because my judgment has already been exercised there. Wherever you're listening right now, I have such a critical question to ask you and your family. Have you applied the blood of the Lamb over your life? Because one day God's patience with evil and sin will end. And those who have been covered by the blood of the Lamb will be saved. Now you might be asking yourself right now, I know Jesus died, but how can I apply? I know the lamb died, but I don't just, it's not just about the lamb dying, but I need to take that death and I need to apply it. I need to paint it over the doorposts of my life. How do I do that today? Applying the blood is not just thinking Jesus was a great guy and that I love him and I guess I want to be like him. Applying the blood is repenting By telling God he has every right to judge you. That his wrath is right and his wrath is just and that you and I deserve it. Applying the blood is repenting, but that's not it. Applying the blood is knowing that no matter how hard you try to do things you can't save yourself That you'll never be good enough. You'll never earn it. You'll never discern it You are a sinner and you will always be applying the blood is repenting applying the blood is Understanding that you can't do it in your own strength And Finally number three applying the blood is believing Trusting, You might be asking, well, believe and trust in what? Believe and trust in going to church? No. Believe and trust in reading the Bible? No. Believe and trust in what? Believing and trusting in my pastor? No. Applying the blood is believing and trusting and placing your future hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's believing that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on that cross was for you. It's believing, it's trusting, and it's placing your hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I want to do two things. I want to say a prayer for you. And then before we finish, I want to share with you some of the questions that I'd like you to consider as we prepare for our connects this week. But if you're out there right now and you're watching and you do not know Jesus Christ, Maybe you're troubled. Maybe what's been going on around you in this world has just proved to you that man, technology, and all of our advancements and efforts, we can't stop. And so maybe you're here today and you're looking for some sort of hope, some sort of anchor to your worried soul. I want to tell you, those of us that are followers in Christ, yeah, at times we might get a little nervous and anxious, but at the end of the day, we have this hope knowing that that we are sheltered in Christ. What do I mean by that? It doesn't mean that we can't get sick, that we can't get this virus. Christians will get this virus too. But we will have no fear because we know beyond that, we have a hope in Jesus Christ, that this body will be resurrected, that nothing could stop his church because we have the hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you want that hope, if you want that anchor that transcends circumstances, if you want that kind of joy, All you have to do is repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. All the children, all the parents, all the singles, no matter where you're watching, no matter where they're at right now, I lift them up before you. And Lord, I'm not going to pray a prayer that we're protected from the coronavirus. I'm going to pray a prayer that we are protected from an even greater crisis. The future judgment of God, the wrath that we deserve is coming. And the only way that we could be protected of that is if we apply the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives. So I pray for everyone watching today that they would put their faith, their hope, their trust in future glory in the blood of of Jesus Christ. Amen. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you these three questions, and I want to invite you this week to connect with us on one of our Zooms. Follow us on our social media. We will update with we will update you. But here are the questions. Number one How have you viewed the judgment and wrath of God in the past? And how have you how has your view changed? And in what ways does his wrath communicate his love? Number two, think about this statement regarding the Israelites. They did nothing to earn their distinction. God gave it to them freely for his glory. What about that statement stands out to you? And how does that statement humble you and change your walk with Christ? And finally, number three, we were asked to behold the lamb in three distinct ways. His age, his perfection, and the application of his blood. Which of these three ways minister to you? And how does it help you see Christ more clearly? I hope you join us this week at one of our Zoom connects. I hope you stay tuned as we continue to move forward with this beautiful Easter series. And I'd love for you to take a moment and join us in worship right now before we leave. God bless. Let's let your living rooms be filled with singing and the presence of God. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at InspireChurches.com for more information.